Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with Barbara Houston, previously known as Barbara Stani, who is the leading authority on women, wealth, and power. As a best-selling author, financial therapist, teacher, and wealth coach, Barbara's helped millions take charge of their finances and their lives. She's got a background in business and her years as a journalist, a master's degree in counseling psychology, and her personal experience with money give her all a unique perspective and makes her the foremost expert on empowering women. I have seen Barbara Houston talk on many platforms, and I am just so overjoyed to welcome her to the show today. It's going to be fantastic. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Yasmin. I appreciate it. And before we actually dive in, I also want to tell folks in the audience that Barbara is the author of seven books. I won't list them all here, but we can list them in the show notes. And just a couple uh, examples of uh, the titles of the books so that you guys are aware of the topic, Secrets of Six-Figure Women, Surprising Strategies to Up Your Earnings and Change Your Life, Breaking Through, Getting Past the Stuck Points in Your Life. So check them out. And I believe your latest one is Rewire for Wealth. Is that correct, Barbara? Very good. Yes. (laughs) Rewire for Wealth, three steps any woman can take to program her brain for financial success. All right. So welcome to the show. Thank you. So Barbara, why is wealth a topic so many women don't talk about? And what does it mean in your words to be a wealthy woman? Ah, I think um, because... I believe, I've been doing this, I've been a a financial therapist and wealth coach for over 25 years, and it's become very clear to me that women's issues, women's difficulties, women's problems with money have very little, if anything, to do with money and everything to do with their fear of or ambivalence about power. And because it's, it's not the money that gives us power, it's who we have to become to to attract, to grow, and to sustain our wealth. And I think we, I think the world has been very afraid of women's power. The patriarchy has been very afraid. And I think that it has, it it is, I remember saying to, saying to a, one time very early in my career, when I first realized that women's issues weren't about money, but about power. And I remember asking a psychologist, why are women so afraid of our power? And she said something to me that gave me full body chills. She said, because powerful women have been burned at the stake. Mm. And I think this is part of our collective unconscious of the consequences we would suffer, the punishment, what would happen if we became powerful and wealthy. So I think that's why, and so it's just, as a topic we don't talk about, and it's been discouraged, but that's changing. Hopefully that's changing. Uh, and you asked me, what is wealth and why it's important? Yes. Yeah. So I define wealth. Wealth is not an amount. You can have millions. I know women who have millions and <laughs> don't feel financially secure. I know people who have far less and feel bountiful. So my definition of wealth is when you have more than enough and you know it. 
when you have more than enough, when you have more than you need so you can live life on your own terms. And you know it because wealth, the word comes from the Latin root, wheel, W-E-A-L, which means well-being. And I think that's the whole point of creating wealth is to have well-being in your life. And if you don't have well-being, no matter how much money you have, what's the point? Yeah. Wow. It's such a powerful point. And I I think going back to your earlier answer on why women are afraid of power because we've gotten, we have this kind of image of being burned at the stake, which happened, you know, hundreds of years ago, but still is so pervasive in culture today. And I would say even in anecdotally from what I've witnessed, a lot of women in powerful positions sort of, it feels like they had to sacrifice some part of their life to get there as well. So that's also something I've, I've sort of noticed. Um, and so how do you get started helping women manage their money or think about money differently? Oh my goodness. That depends on what they're thinking about in the first <laughs> place, but, but okay. But it's really important to look at what their beliefs and attitudes are about, about money and, and themselves and themselves in the world. Because our, in, in it, I think the biggest thing is looking how, because our attitudes and beliefs about money and ourselves are inherited from our family of origin, from our culture, from the church. And it's really important to examine what those beliefs are that are getting in our way. Uh, you know, um, Henry Ford said, believe you can, believe you can't, either way you'll be right. So it's really helping understand the thoughts and beliefs that are that are shaping their behavior. Mm, wow. And what have you sort of seen in terms of what women believe based on kind of like the average perspective um, and their belief systems? I, I don't, I, I hate to say this, I hate to categorize as average. I think there's a lot of fear because one bit, I'll say some popular ones, some very pervasive beliefs is because we women are so relationship oriented and we want to be liked. (laughs) There is every, when I wrote Secrets of Six Figure Women, I interviewed 154 women who made six and seven figures. And they all said, There is a part of me, there's a little girl inside me that just wants to be liked. And so what happens is so many of us, we water ourselves down and we water, we, we um, sabotage ourselves financially if we are afraid that people won't like us if we have more than them or if we have too much. That's a, that's a very popular one. There are others who, who grew up in families that didn't have much. And so they, therefore, part of them is afraid to outdo their family because, again, they'll lose that love. So a lot of it has to do with from whence you came and who you surround yourself with. Mm. Yeah, it's so uh, interesting, Barbara, because I remember, so, you know, I'm a minority woman in the U.S., and when I was growing up, I notice that there were certainly no, you know, not many women in positions of power and certainly not many minority women in positions of power. And I sort of wonder, like, are you know, at a young age, do we sort of see the world that we live in and believe that we 
have the greatest expectations of the kind of world around us, um, and and how do how do we convince people to break through these constructs? Like how how do you sort of shift their mindset? Because to me, it seems like what you're saying is it's it's not so much about the how to, but it's really about the mindset. Like how do you shift people's mindset? so that they believe these things are possible. And you talk about the three levels of financial development. Um, so I'd also love to dive into that. Wow, you ask a lot of questions in one question. <laughs> so, but those are both good questions. And so let me, let me start with the last one. Uh, there are three levels of financial development. There's survival, stability, and affluence. Survival is not enough. Stability is just enough, and affluence is more than enough. And so I'm most passionate about taking women from enough or not quite enough to more than enough. And so how do you do that? So this was, this is exactly what I've been exploring for six years, and it came out in my latest book. It just, they just came out. It's called Rewire for Wealth. And this has always been fascinating and challenging for me. How can I help people put, change their beliefs quickly, more efficiently? And, and it's, what I realize is when you understand the mind-brain connection, the brain, which is a, you know, a, an organ in our scalp, in our head, the brain controls our behaviors. The brain controls our choices. So if you try to change our behavior, it's really hard because the brain doesn't want to change. The brain, every time you go to change your, to, to change the way your brain's been wired, it's going to scream, stop, stop, stop. And it's going to be really hard. But when I realized through the study of neuroscience that it's the mind, which is a non-physical entity, where mind that is the source of our thoughts and feelings, and it's those thoughts and feelings that shape our brain, that create those neural pathways. And every time you have the same thought and you think it over and over again, it digs that thought in until it becomes a belief. And those beliefs are what control our behavior. So if you want to change your behavior, you start by changing the thoughts in your head and the feelings that come out of your mind. So you, we can go deeper into that if you'd like. Yeah, I'd love to also talk about your experience changing your own beliefs. And I think your journey is so fascinating to me uh, and I think would be really helpful for our, our audience as well. How did you change your beliefs? I wish I had the rewire formula. <laughs> Much earlier, could I kind of could have done it so much more, so much more quickly, so much more. It took me years. So, okay, I'll, I'll tell you my story. So, th this is not something I expected to do growing up to be an expert on finances because I didn't understand money growing up. My I grew up in a wealthy family. My father was the R of H and R Block, and the only advice he ever gave me about money was "Don't worry." And of course, under that was the unspoken assumption there'll always be a man to take care of you. And under that was the absolute and explicitly said, only men make and manage money. That is not a woman's job. So I married a man 
who was a stockbroker. So I thought he was perfect, right? I find out very early in our marriage is that he was a compulsive gambler. And over the course of our 15 years together, I find out many, many, many times a year that he was gambling my money, my inheritance, losing it. And the insane thing is I continued to let him manage the money because that's how terrified and, and, and intimidated by, I was by anything financial. And it wasn't until uh, 15 years later, we, we got a divorce and I decided money's not my thing. I don't want to deal with money. Well, the universe had other plans. Uh, I was hired. Oh, no, no, this was before. I didn't want to deal with money. And I got tax bills for way over almost $2 million. I got tax bills for way over a million dollars for back taxes my ex didn't pay, for illegal deals he got us in. My ex had left the country. I didn't have anywhere close to a million dollars. And my father wouldn't lend me the money. And that's when I knew I had to get smart. And so I did what, what you're supposed to do. I read all the books. I went to the classes and my eyes would glaze over. My brain would fog up. And I just felt really stupid. And I, But I had three daughters. They were young. One was just a baby. I was not going to raise those kids on the street. I knew I had to get smart. And I really believe when you make a commitment, like there's no back door, you know, there's when you make a commitment to walk through fire, to get it done, the universe revolves to help you reach your goal. And at the time, I was a journalist and I was writing for the San Francisco Business Times and I was hired for a freelance project to interview women who were smart with money. And those interviews changed my life. And that's when I got the first glimpse into the mind-brain connection, although I didn't articulate it as such. But it wasn't what these women did. It was how they thought. And when I shifted my thinking, everything changed. It took a lot longer than it would take now knowing what I know. But that's how I got into this. And now, you know, here I am seven books later and talking to you as a financial expert. I love that story so much. And I find that so many women are in these situations where there's a surprise that they now have to, there's a kind of a forced uh, event that happens where they have to start figuring things out on, in their financial world. And it's it's sort of, I think Carolyn May says, like, you, you figure things out kind of based on chaos or curiosity, <laughs> right? And, and, yeah. And see, research continues to show us that women, do not get serious about making or managing money till they hit a crisis, especially when they lose a job, they lose a spouse, or they're on the brink of retirement. And this is the worst time to make decisions. This is the worst time to try to absorb information. So that's one of the reasons I do what I do is to get women to act before a crisis hits. So I, I want to go back to the interviews that you had with these women. What did you find out that sort of sparked your interest uh, after talking to so many women? Um, did, you know, obviously you said that that it changed your thought patterns and beliefs. Uh, but do you re remember any kind of um, yeah. themes? Yeah. Boy. Oh, many themes. Yeah, they they all had it in in terms of the managing money. In terms of that, is that what you're talking about? Because that's what the Prince Charm, my first book, Prince Charming, isn't coming. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, every, not one woman, and this was really 
pivotal for me. Not one woman got smart until she realized Prince Charming isn't coming. And Prince Charming doesn't need to be a man. Prince Charming could be the lottery. It could be, you know, uh, uh, it could be just a, a, a something, just a magical thinking. Something's going to come and save me. And I realized that I had, Prince Charming was alive and well in my head, in my brain. I was waiting for another man to come save me, even though this man about killed me. And I realized, I can't do that. I, it's, if it is to be, it's up to me. And that, that knowing that, that, that was pivotal. And then I, the, the other thing is, I realized that all the answers aren't out there. I kept looking to the books, looking to the classes, but I had to really go within and look at what was keeping me back, what was holding me. And I'll give you, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you exactly how it happened. It didn't happen as a result of the book. But as of the result of the book, I started really trying to get smart and really knowing that no one's going to save me. I need to do it. So I was working very hard and I, I couldn't get it. I just couldn't get it. I'm not a stupid woman, but I couldn't get it. So I went to a therapist and I said, Daniel, I really want to get smart about money. I really do. You've got to help me. I really do. And he looked me in the eye, straight in the eye. And he said, no, you don't. And it was like my defenses deflated. I, I couldn't, I couldn't argue there. I, I discovered a part of me that did not want to get smart, that did not want to take control of money. And that part, as I explored it, it freed me. But there was a part that felt if I got smart about money, I would blow it all. I would lose it. <laughs> Better let my husband do that than me. I was afraid that if I took charge, my parents wouldn't like me. They'd, they'd be mad. I was afraid that if, that if I really became financially successful, a man wouldn't love me. I started exploring all those fears and debunking them. And that's when it's like the veils lifted. Wow, I love that. And so you had your kind of uh, moment of reckoning uh, in that room. And I think a lot of people say one thing to themselves, but then deep down they aren't taking any action towards that. So I, I think... That, let, me, let me say whenever anybody feels stuck or confused or procrastinating or not taking the action they want to, there's always one reason. It's because there's an internal conflict. A part of you wants to and a part of you doesn't. And it's really important because and what most women try to do is, is try to quiet or repress the part that doesn't and just, you know, plow through with the part that does. But that doesn't work. What you need to do is it's kind of it's called it's a form of conflict resolution. It's getting both parts of you to know each other. And to work together on the same team so that you don't have anything working against you or holding you back or reining you in. Mm, I, yeah, that's so powerful. I can't remember who said this quote, but it, it was like, um, all problems in life are psychological ones. They all sort of <laughs> start in the mind. <laughs> it, it all, because it starts in the mind, which sculpts the brain, which determines the choices we make. So absolutely, you go back, the choices we make that are causing us problems are always stems from the psyche, from the, from the mind, from our thinking. 
Wow. And then what's sort of the biggest surprise that you've had with some of your research and interviews when it comes to very successful women? And then also maybe some surprises or ahas that you found with, I think, what you define as under-earners? The biggest surprises. Oh, I like the surprises. Um, okay, I'll tell you one of the biggest surprises, and which was also very important for me um, in changing how I relate it changing my earning ability is when I went to interview these women who made six, six and seven figures, I expected them to be confident and they were, yes, I mean, they were all very confident. But as we got deeper into the interviews, every single one of them struggled with fear, struggled with self-doubt. I would say 95% felt like a fraud and were going to were afraid others would find out. And I thought, oh my God, that's just like me. But the only difference between them and me is they didn't let the fear or the self-doubt or feeling like a fraud stop them. They did it anyway. And I think it's not the absence of fear that that's occurred. It's being, it's acting in spite of the fear. And I really, I really believe that the number one requirement for going to that next level in anything particularly in earnings, is the willingness to be uncomfortable, the willingness to do what scares you and what you don't want to do. Yeah, having courage, having uh, the audacity to move forward. Yes, and having, and having the resilience when you yeah. fall down to get back up and keep going. And I imagine that a lot of people over the last year and a half or so are probably having a lot of moments of reckoning because of the pandemic and rethinking work. I mean, we've seen this like massive resignation sweep. So uh, I'm also curious if you have any anecdotes or stories or reflections on how the pandemic has maybe shifted people to start thinking um, about their financial uh, investments or have you seen people sort of give up? I mean, I, I, maybe it's just anecdotal, but I'm just curious what you've seen. I'm going to tell you the biggest thing I've seen is what a gift the pandemic has been in many people's lives. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about the pandemic. And it's caused us to slow down. It's caused us to create moments of reflection and introspection. It's knocked us off our comfort zones. It's knocked us off our, uh, the status quo. And what I have seen is how many women who have come to me were not doing what they loved or they were just, you know, it, it was all mediocre. And it's forcing them to really commune with their soul to see what is it I really want to do and use this time as an opportunity to do what they're on this planet to do. So in many ways, I see the pandemic as being a gift. And I'm so curious if you could share maybe a story of, of someone who uh, completely shifted their, their work path or their career path in the pandemic. So many, so many stories. I, I don't know why this person came to me. She was, um, she had a spa a very successful spa in uh, somewhere on the West Coast. And the pandemic came and nobody went, of course, nobody went to spas anymore. <laughs> you know, they, it was closed. And what happened is she 
said, I've got to make a shift. And she found in within herself, it wasn't what she did as much as what she found within herself, the resources to make a really quick pivot where she took her whole spa online and created an online uh, spa to help people through the pandemic in pampering themselves, in finding the strength and reserves within themselves. And it was beautiful, but it wasn't, and, and she made, she made, she did great. She made a big profit. She did this within months. But the most important thing is what it did for her inside herself, the confidence and self-esteem boost she got from making that change. Wow. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. It's so uh, fascinating because the events industry, of course, got decimated during the pandemic. And then there were some people that just took a lot of different models and reformatted it, rejiggered it, or kind of uh, moved on to something very different. I've just seen so many businesses and people who've who've completely changed their trajectory in the pandemic. And it's so inspiring. Uh, so Barbara, I want to talk about what you define as an under earner. I think um, there's so many women that are under earners and I'd love for you to tell us like why that is and also how you would define it. So I was a chronic under earner all my life until I was in my fifties. I was a chronic under earner until I interviewed women who made six and seven figures. And those interviews, truly, truly, I started making six figures before I even finished writing the book. And so I am intimately familiar with under-earning. An under-earner, my definition of an under-earner is anyone who makes less than she needs or desires despite her efforts to do otherwise. It has nothing to do with the amount of money you make. You can make six figures and still be an under earner. And you can make far less and not be. There's what I call a mindful low earner. Both my daughters are mindful low earners. One's a farmer and one owns a small town movie theater. Neither one of them make a lot of money. But they're doing what they love because it feeds their soul and they have enough money to meet their needs. Under-earning never feeds your soul. It is never a conscious choice. It is always a condition of deprivation and not just of money, but of choices, of freedom, of joy, of mostly self-esteem. So why are so many women under-earners? I think there's a lot of different reasons, but I believe it all boils down to three. And I can, I, I got this, a lot of this just from my own experience, but then of working with so many women helping them overcome their under-earning. One of the biggest reasons we are under-earners is that we devalue ourselves. We give away our time, our knowledge, our skills. We give it away for free or bargain prices because we don't believe we're worth more. It's like there's this little voice in our head that says, who do you think you are? No one's going to pay you that. And that brings us to the second reason. We women are notoriously codependent. We put everybody else's needs before our own. And that may sound noble, but it always leads, self-denial always leads to anger, to resentment, to, and often illness. But every time we go to put ourselves first, which is really important to go to the next level, every time we go to put ourselves first, we feel uncomfortable. And that is the third and major reason 
why so many people are under earning because they don't want to be uncomfortable. And, and as I said earlier, the number one requirement for, for success in anything, whether it's making more money or losing more weight, it always lies just outside our comfort zone. So you not only must be willing to be uncomfortable, you must look for ways <laughs> to, to do what you fear. Doing what you fear, that's how you succeed. Wow. And what, uh, what are some things that you've done that, that you are afraid of? Or how do you consistently... Oh, God damn. <laughs> Everything I do <laughs> scares me. Everything. I have never written a book without going into total panic. And, and I remember calling my daughter one time, I think it was my fourth book. I said, Melissa, I'm having a panic. I'm having a meltdown. She says, Mom, that's part of your process. This is what you always do. <laughs> it's true. And it's like, so what I do is I notice I'm in panic. I notice I get scared. And then I say, oh, good. That means you're going to the next level. And I make myself do it. I just make myself do it. At the same time, really censoring my negative thoughts and really, I right now, I, I, and I put, I can handle this. I have this right next to my computer. And every time I get scared, I just look at that. And that's my mantra. I can handle this. I might not think I can, but I just keep saying it. And that's one of the ways you can change the neural pathway is by p repeating positive affirmations that oppose those limiting beliefs. And if you repeat them often enough, they will become dug deeper in your brain and your behavior will change. Mm. I love that. I can handle this. I'm going to write that on a card as well. <laughs> and so, Barbara, what are some requirements or, or maybe like ways that people can up their earnings and increase their, their wealth? How would we kind of do that if... I'll tell you this, the steps. I'll go through them. Um, the first step is tell the truth. Tell the truth about what's not working in your life. Tell the truth because the, the truth is power. And so many of us, we, when things aren't working, we want to shove them under the rug. We want to race through them. We want to pretend they're not there. But that's, that doesn't work because it's by what I, what I learned from interviewing high earners, it was always by addressing a financial challenge that they that they had their financial success. So it's those challenges, the problems, what's not working, that hold the keys for us by addressing those. Even if you don't have a solution, just simply telling the truth. The second step after you tell the truth is you declare an intention. You, you, you commit, you make a decision, a committed decision that goes something like this. It's time to make more money. You must have a profit motive. You must love money. What money? Money's a good thing. If you have any kind of ambivalence about or, or dislike of money, you're not going to let it come to you. So you make a committed decision that you'll walk through fire to make it happen. And something happens when you make a decision, like, like what, a down-to-your-toes commitment, where, where you will. You'll do anything to make sure it happens. 
you will start attracting coincidences. Just, just the person you need to talk to will walk by. Or just you read an article that gives you an idea of where you need to go next. It's those coincidences. That's what I learned from the high earners. You don't have to have a plan all set out. You just have to make a commitment and follow what comes next. The universe gives us clues. And the third step is the stretch. Because those coincidences are really opportunities that lie just outside your comfort zone. So when those coincidences come to you, you're not going to want to do them. You're going to have to stretch. You're going to have to go from what seems, feels comfortable to what seems impossible. And that really is the key. If you ask me one thing, what is one thing that will get you from under-earning to high-earning? It is the willingness to do what you think you can't do and don't want to do. And then fourth step, because this, this is not easy stuff. It is not easy. Is to surround yourself with support. Under-earners tend to operate in isolation or they hang out with pessimists and worrywarts and naysayers. They're not bad people. They're just scared. And then when you go to change, they're going to want to hold you back. So it's really important to find support. So if you tell the truth, make a decision, stretch, surround yourself with support, you will overcome under-earning. But the fifth step, because wealth does not come from what you earn. Wealth comes from what you do with what you earn. And the fifth step, because I don't want to just help people earn more money. Because one of my biggest surprises, and you asked me this earlier, Yasmin, one of my biggest surprises in interviewing high earners was how few of them were wealthy. They were so busy making money that they weren't taking the time to manage it. Uh, There was one woman who made seven hundred and some thousand dollars a year, not counting her bonuses. And she said to me, I am one step away from a refrigerator carton on the street. And I said, how's that possible? She said her biggest investment were shoes in Neiman Marcus. It just never occurred to her the money wouldn't always be there. And she was hitting nearing retirement. She was in her 50s and she had nothing, nothing to show for it. So the fifth step in overcoming under earning is to respect and appreciate money by taking care of it. And you respect and appreciate money and take and take care of it by following the four rules of wealth. And the four rules of wealth are spend less, save more, invest wisely, and give generously. In that order, because we women have the giving generously part down pat. <laughs> the giving generously without spending less, saving more, and investing wisely is always an act of self-sabotage. Because not only do you jeopardize your future security, but you diminish the impact you can make in the world. And this, to me, is why wealth is important. It's not that we have a lot of money in the bank account. It's what we can do with our money. It's how we can make a difference in the lives of people we love and causes we are passionate about. Yeah, it's so fascinating how managing our finances seems like something most of us never learned, right? Like it was not a course as far as I remember in elementary school or high school. And that's like one of the most important things I think in our life, like how we manage our money. Um, And so it's just so fascinating. And I think that's especially true for women. I I will say that when I was in my uh, early twenties, I 
had never really learned about how investing worked. Uh, it just wasn't a topic of conversation, even in college, to be totally honest. And uh, the only reason I actually started investing at a young age was because a lot of the guys in my group were investing. And I said to them, oh, what are you guys doing? And they, you know, they told me about it and, and how to invest. But for most women, I think even women who've been working for a number of years, decades even, it's so fascinating how so many of us don't even talk about it within our groups. Like we just don't talk about our financial strategy, our investment strategy, um, how much we're earning even. And that to me is also so interesting. Like there's just a lack of transparency. And so we just, we sort of kind of don't, really give it a lot of um, energy. It's almost like death, right? Like we don't talk about it. No, we <laughs> talk something... about death. We'll talk about death. We'll talk about sex, but we <laughs> will not talk about money. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we, we sort of like push it out of the the entire sphere of our of our construct of reality. So yeah, it's it's just interesting. Like why, why is that? So I have, uh, why is it? Because there's a lot of shame for some people around money. Uh, because we have been trained that you don't talk about money. Nice girls don't talk about money. I sure was. Um, but I have, if you want to learn, if you want to get smart, this is how I educated myself. When I decided, oh my God, I got to figure this out because I had three young kids and, and I, I had, and I really needed to. And the books, and the classes weren't helping. So I broke it down into three steps. And what I realized is getting smart or smarter about money is so much simpler than you think, even though there's a whole industry there to convince us otherwise. It's just small steps consistently taken that lead to remarkable results. And I'm going to give you three steps. This is what I did. Three steps, and I still do them to this day. Three steps. Three steps. Try this for three, four months, and you will be amazed at how much progress you've made. Here they are. Every day, read something about money, even if it's for one or two minutes. I'm not, you don't have to read a whole book, but even if you just open the newspaper to the business section and peruse the headlines, even if you're standing in line at the market, at the supermarket, and you pick up Money Magazine instead of People and leap through it, even if before you go to bed, you read a, you read a paragraph in a financial book. Because it does not, it doesn't take a lot of time, but it's just familiarizing ourselves with the jargon and the current trends. So every day, read something about money for a minute or two. Every week, and this is, this is going against the taboo, every week have a conversation about money, preferably with someone that knows more than you. And when I was interviewing all these women who were smart with money, that's when I realized how important important, how, how really, what a game changer that was. So I, anybody I would meet who knew more than me, I would stop them. I would say, can, can we talk? And I'd invite them for coffee. I'd have a phone conversation and I'd ask them questions. And I'd say, how did you get smart? What did you do? What were some of the biggest mistakes you made? What's the best advice anyone gave you? What's the best advice you would give me? Just ask questions like that. And what I found is people were more than happy to talk. So every day read, every week talk, and every month save automatically. Automatically have money from your paycheck to your 
savings account transfer to your savings account. And, and I'd rather see people put in less than more, even if it's $5. And you would automatically, you, you fill out a form, you can do it online. It's called mindless investing. The bank will just transfer it. You don't even have to think about it. I've been doing this for a long time. So every day read, every week talk, every month save, and you'll be amazed. You will be amazed at how different you will feel financially. Mm, I love that so much. And and I also wonder uh, where people can find like groups of women who are kind of doing like weekly or monthly um, conversations about money well, or if it, there's... It's funny you should ask. So <laughs> I have, I started this about four years ago, I guess, because it was always my dream. I have an online community. It's called the Wealth Connection. Very affordable. Where we women come together and we talk about money as women in a very safe place where twice a month we do group coaching and we go really deep and it's very intimate. And every month we have a financial expert. A couple times a year I give master classes. I just did a master class in overcoming under earning. Uh, we have a book club. We just, we talk about money and we support each other. So if you want to, you can go to my website, Barbara-Houston, H-U-S-O-N, Barbara-Houston.com and look under coaching and look under the wealth connection. Wow. Amazing. And it meets once a month? Uh, no, we meet, actually, we, we have a Facebook group. So we have a, we, we talk in there all the time. We have, uh, we meet twice a month for group coaching. We meet another time once a month for a financial expert. And then we meet other times for the book clubs and the classes and whatever else I bring in. Wow. Love that. Oh my gosh. Okay, great. Well, I'll... And it's only $47 a month. Amazing. Amazing. Um, great. Well, I'm so excited to hear about that. And I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of interest and people can join anytime, correct? Yeah. Anytime. Great. Great. And so can you tell me about your book, uh, Sacred Success, A Course uh -huh. in Financial Miracles, and your definition of sacred success? So sacred success, uh, that was a tough one for me to write because that's the, that's the one where I became, came out of my spiritual closet, where I talked about my journey to financial success and financial freedom and financial, you know, uh, savvy really came from integrating spirituality into what I was doing. And that's that book. It's called Sacred Success, A Course in Financial Miracles. I'm a student of A Course in Miracles. And it came about because I had written Overcoming Under Earning. I was making six figures, healthy six figures. And I decided I, I was ready to make seven figures. So I started in, when interviewing women who made seven figures. And I thought, that's going to be my next book. And that's going to show me how to do it. Well, three years later, I had no book. I was nowhere near six figures, seven figures. And I was burnt out. And I went on a retreat and I took my, the transcripts of all those interviews. I must have had over 100 interviews for sure. And I saw something that I had missed. That for these women who were thriving financially, it was far more than a practical process. It was a spiritual practice. And I define sacred success as pursuing your soul's purpose 
for your own bliss and the benefit of others while being richly rewarded. And the whole purpose is in, in, in the primary the primary goal of sacred success is not profit. Profit is yes, a desired income. You want to make lots of money. There's no doubt. But the primary purpose of sacred success is achieving greatness. And I define greatness, paraphrasing a quote by Fred Buchner, greatness is that place where your deep gladness, what you were put on this planet to do, greatness is that place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. Mm, wow. And, and that's just, it's a whole different way of looking at financial success. Mm. Yeah, it's by the way, I am also a student of the course a course in miracles and um very early student though. I, I have not gone through the whole thing yet, but I've uh, been very um intrigued by it and uh I've actually found a lot of people who've built a lot of structures off of that work and because because it's changed their thinking, of course, Mary Williamson is is one. Uh and so I'm just really, really taken aback by this this kind of spiritual perspective because I think it's one that a lot of people ignore. And I do think that there, there's sort of this like, whatever you want to call it, a higher power or some sort of bigger reason for doing the work that we do in this world. And I think so many people... Uh, sort of detach themselves from that bigger reason. The, the, like, like you said, there's just a focus on profit or capitalism uh, or success for the sake of success. Uh, and, and we sort of, as a society, have said that success is primarily financial. Um, and so I love that. I love this piece about bringing the sacredness and the spirituality into it because um, I think it's also... Uh, gives people more of a spherical perspective um, about what they're building into the world and also how it impacts people. I think we often ignore that word impact. We talk about profit, uh, at least in a lot of corporate conversations, it's always about revenue goals, uh, profit goals, uh, user acquisition, but we never talk about impact. <laughs> how are we impacting the rest of the world? <laughs> how are we impacting our communities? So I, I love that. Good. And, and both my last books, Sacred Success and Rewire for Wealth, were all both based on A Course in Miracles, as is my life. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about Rewire for Wealth. And this is your, your seventh book. Is it That's your la last book? or It's my most recent book. Most recent. Okay. I don't know if it's my last book. I keep thinking this every book I've ever <laughs> written, this is the last book I'm writing. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> so I'm saying it now. It's like, I said that about my other two husbands. This is my last husband. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> but I do say this about my, this husband. I got the good husband. But I digress here. So, <laughs> yeah, Rewire for Wealth is a combination of the practical, the psychological, the spiritual, and neuroscience. Mm. And it's, it's a powerful powerful combination because the course the course of miracles is a course in mind training that's what it calls itself what the course is is it in all really most spiritual practices 
tell you that you, we are created in the likeness of God. We are creative beings. We are powerful beings. And the power is within our mind. And when we can learn how to d- discipline our thoughts, we can t- control our thoughts. We can reshape our world. We can literally change our reality. Wow. I love that. I love that so much. Um, yeah. For those of you who have not heard of A Course in Miracles, it is an incredible book. Uh extremely lengthy. It's 365 days of work, which I think could take people a decade to get through if they really went through it. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we're talking about here. It's actually, it's actually a three-part book. One part is what they call the workbook, which is 365 lessons. And that's where I tell people to start, is do a lesson a day, because those lessons are training your mind. And that's where the power of the course is. But there's also the text, which is so hard to understand. <laughs> I don't know why I kept at it 35 years ago. I don't know why I kept at it. Wow. And then there's the what they call the manual for teachers. And that's and we we are all teachers. And no one learns more than the teachers. It's by teaching the course that you learn about. It's by teaching anything that you learn about. Mm, amazing. Uh, for those who have not uh, heard of it, we will include it also in the show notes. Uh, so Barbara, I think what would be very interesting is talking about the gender differences. So how do men and women differ in the way that they process financial information? Um, a lot of ways. One of the, one of the things that that really motivated me to start integrating neuroscience, to study neuroscience in the beginning, was years ago, maybe five years ago, I was reading this piece that said, men and women view investing very differently. They, they process, their brains process financial information differently. That a man looks at the market and he sees the, you know, investing as a challenge and he gets very excited and he dives in. Women see the market and investing as threatening and they hold back because our brain was wired from the beginning of time with one purpose, one purpose only, and that's to keep us safe. So anytime we feel threatened, our thinking brain shuts down, our fight, flight, freeze is activated and we hold back. Now, the interesting thing is this very thing that holds us back is also what makes women far superior investors is because men in their overconfidence tend to trade, go in and out, do risky stuff. We tend to buy and hold, which has shown over time a much more profitable approach. So we actually outperform men over time. Uh, an, another thing, women, men are all about prestige and profit. You ask a man, no matter how much money he has, I'm generally speaking, this is generally, I'm not trying to typecast, but generally speaking, you ask a man who will make more money, no matter how much he has, he's on it. You ask a woman, once she is financially stable, once she has, you know, a roof over her head, food on the table, maybe can afford a mani-pedi, we're not motivated by money. What motivates us is the opportunity to help others. And, and that's what I noticed in Sacred Success. 
It wasn't the money that motivated these women. It was making a difference. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, so Barbara, we're wrapping up. We're almost at time. I have so many more questions. Uh, this has been so helpful. I think a lot of women are struggling with financial freedom and also managing their finances and taking risks. I think that's like a really difficult one for a lot of people. Um, so I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be interested in your books. I'd also love to know if there are any other resources that might be a good place for people to start. You talk about um, looking at places online for financial information. Is there uh, Are there any places online that you look at regularly? Of course, uh, you have your, your monthly... Um, not monthly, but this ongoing wealth connection group. So, yeah. Yeah. Let, let me tell you, there's two newsletters I would love every woman to subscribe to, and they're free. One newsletter is Elvest, E L L E B E S T dot com, Elvest. And the other is Her Money, H E R Money dot uh, com. They're chock full of information, and they're written by women for women. So we can understand them. And they, they are women's values, not men's. So I highly recommend it. Um, LVEST is actually an investment firm that does robo-investing, which I love. I think robo-investing is, is the best thing that's happened to managing money since sliced bread. Actually, that was a terrible metaphor. But anyway, it's a great. <laughs> it's a, it, it, it makes investing affordable for the masses, not only affordable, but it really takes so much of the risk out. What I always recommend everybody do before they invest or anytime they go through a big life change is to work with a fee-only financial planning planner because the reason you invest is not just to amass a lot of money. Sure, that would be nice. But the only reason to invest is to make sure that you are protected, that you have enough money for your short-term, your medium, and your long-term goals so you and your money can grow old together. And what I love about robo-investing is they first do a financial plan. You answer all these questions. And based on your situation, they come up with portfolio ideas for you. So it's a great. So Elvest and Her Money, I highly recommend. Oh, wonderful. Okay, great. Uh, I've heard of Elvest. I've not heard of Her Money. And I actually haven't uh, checked on Elvest for a while. So I will also check those two out. Yeah, sign up for their newsletter. Really very different and lots of information. Oh, definitely. This is great. So Barbara, what is your main call to action or your main takeaway? What do you want to tell our audience? The biggest risk you can do is to do nothing at all. Because I, I would love for you to I would love for you to join my wealth connection. And if that doesn't call to you, find a buddy, find a friend, find somebody that you can do this with together, that you can read the books together, you can have a book club that you can get smart together, that you can hold each other accountable. I think that's so important. There was a, a study done at Emory University that showed that women learn best, with learn financial information best with other women, that there's something in their brain that lights up when they're talking about money with other women. So that's what I would like to, you to take away. Don't try to do it yourself. No one's going to do it for you, but you don't have to do it alone. 
Wonderful. And Barbara, are there any resources you can point folks to in order to learn more about you and your work? Obviously, we've mentioned a couple of things here, but maybe you, they can all navigate to... Yeah, probably uh, couple- my, my website, I think, is the best place to go. Barbara-Hewson.com. Amazing, amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Barbara. This has been such a lovely conversation and I feel so inspired. I know so many women in my network are going to absolutely, they're just actually going to need this. (laughs) Um, And so thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Oh, likewise, likewise. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about financial freedom after 40 with Barbara Hewson. And you can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.